Chelsea made a big decision when they fired Champions League winning coach Thomas Tuchel and replaced him with Graham Potter, a bright young English manager who needs time to put his methods into practice. The test was never going to be when things were going well, but when they were going badly. And with the champions Manchester City on the horizon, these are concerning times for fans of the Blues. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. No firings necessary when it comes to my top tipping team. My vice captain, Mark O'Hare, poised like a coiled spring as always. Mark Chelsea lagging behind in the race for the top four. But it was always going to take a while for Graham Potter to get things moving. It took him ages at Brighton and he eventually had great results. You can't just expect him to snap his fingers and suddenly it works. No, not at all. And I think we all had a resounding sort of same similar answer when he was appointed that, um, you know, brave to appoint Graham Potter, um, sort of want to back Chelsea on that decision to go down that route. But, you know, they have to be honest about the situation and realise it's not going to be an overnight change. Um, Thomas Tuchel managed it and and how he managed it so quickly is is remarkable, really. But I think Graham Potter's methods do take time to to put together, as you say, it took Brighton a long time to, until we saw the best of it. And we saw, you know, three quarters of the season through his first campaign in the Premier League, them battling against relegation and many sort of football traditionalists uh, dismissing them and saying it was the wrong decision. And Chris Hutton should have been uh, stayed in situ and would have been, uh, they'd be better off with him. Um, that was proven wrong in the longer term. And I think Chelsea, if they do stick with Potter, will be on the right track. But at the minute, um, they have been underwhelming as they have been throughout the whole campaign. I thought the praise for their performance against Bournemouth on Boxing Day was a bit over the top, really, because Bournemouth set up appallingly, played dreadfully, uh, and Chelsea took their opportunities. But we saw probably some of the older issues affecting Chelsea come to the fore again at Nottingham Forest, um, without Angola Conte there, uh, without Rudiger there at centre-half, and without a, a sort of clinical centre-forward either. Um, I have liked the introduction of Denis Sakaria as a kind of holding midfielder. I think he does give the team a bit more balance and allow the the rest of the midfield to, to sort of function a little bit better. He does do the dirty work. Um, he is the best solution, I think, outside of N'Golo Conte. But you know, ultimately, Chelsea, uh, you know, what are they, four to one or, or bigger, really, to beat Manchester City on Thursday night is a reflection of, of what they've achieved so far this season, which isn't a huge amount. They're, they're ranking 10th on expected points. And that is also the case. They're ranking it pretty much similar, whether you look over the last four games, eight games, 12 games, all season long. So, um, wouldn't be the biggest surprise though if they did turn up uh, and put on a performance against Man City. Liverpool did similar when they were written off by the market earlier in the campaign. Uh, and City's sort of return over a five-year period away uh, against top six teams, where they have been very dominant across the whole campaign, isn't possibly as strong as the market suggests. You know their 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 odds should be. You know, they've got a fifty-six percent win rate at top six teams over the last five years. Um, they're what are they? It was thirteen to twenty to win this match on Thursday, which feels a bit short to me. Knowing Chelsea do have world-class operators, they are capable of a performance. Uh, and look, I'm not as downbeat on Chelsea as some people are because. You know, the league position doesn't look great, but they are only three points off the top six uh, or the top four, uh, one of the two. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I don't think that's ever happened before. Marco Hare <laughs> losing his numbers. Seven off the top four. 
seven off the top four. Um, but yeah, they're not far off the top six. And um, yeah, <laughs> I, I probably I probably thought they were closer to mid-table based on the underlying metrics. Um, so yeah, I mean, this, this is obviously going to be a difficult game, but um, I think the fact that Manchester City have earned one point at home to Brentford and Everton in the last two home games, regardless of their performances, is concerning. Uh, also alarming, I guess, for me would be the chance creation Brentford at home, Everton at home, failing to win either of those games, but generating a a combined XG total of around 3.4. Still a very healthy figure, and most Premier League teams would snap your hand off for that, but it is below Man City standards. You'd expect them to be racking up at least 2 XG in both of those games and really sort of piling on the pressure, piling on the chances. I don't think they did that really against Everton when they were sort of chasing a win. Um, they did find it difficult, really. So, um yeah, uh, fascinated to see how this game goes. City, understandable favourites, would back them to to win the game, but odds-wise, they're no, no appeal to me. Odds compiler and master of the sustainable edge, Mark Stinchcombe with us once again. Stinch, there's been this ludicrous debate recently about whether Erling Haaland's arrival has somehow taken City backwards. I mean, it seems nonsensical to me. The guy has got tons of goals. The other thing as well is that actually City have made missteps elsewhere, haven't they? They let Gabriel Jesus go. They let Zinchenko go. They didn't really strengthen the squad. They strengthened the 11 by bringing in Haaland, obviously, but maybe made a few missteps elsewhere. Yeah, potentially. Uh, I'd say strengthening a, a rival they didn't think was a rival was probably the worst thing they, they yeah. probably did because otherwise they'd be comfortably sat at the top with the with the record that they have. So that's probably their their biggest mistake. I'd say maybe the only issue with Haaland is perhaps they rely on him too much, if that if that's possible. Um, I don't think you've got uh, and obviously we've let we've letting Sterling go, who was kind of the sort of second guy you'd go to, I would say, in terms of goals. Um, it's probably the 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 worrying thing in terms of if they have something major to worry about, which I don't think they do. I think the issue um, perhaps at the moment is that they they're playing playing different systems with different players who maybe aren't aren't quite used to it. So, for example, you know, Kyle Walker and Ken Seller were both on the bench against Everton. I think they should both come back in here and they'll be a little, they'll look a little bit more of the city that we know, a bit more for familiarity rather than some of the other players that he's perhaps sort of shoehorning into positions. Um, but watching Chelsea, I thought was quite ironic. Um, like they, they're obviously a bit dysfunctional uh, at the moment. Um, but also the sort of concerning thing that I kind of noticed was they they've got quite an old squad. Um, you look at Thiago Silva's thirty eight. They spent a lot of money on Koulibaly, who's thirty one. Aspilicueta's thirty three. You've got Jorginho trying to run the midfield at thirty one, and you've got Aubameyang up front at thirty three. And, and it feels like they their transfer strategy is all over the place as, as well. And playing a lot of games in a short space of time when they do have injuries is not going to do these older players any good. So, yeah, my my plan was to at the prices was to 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 get with City, um, looking at City minus three quarters at one point eight five. So, if they win by just a goal, you, you half your state wins and the other half is returned. And there are just a few deciding factors in the end that made me decide that that City. Are the, are the team to to get with. Um, 
as we mentioned, Chelsea have been quite underwhelming under Potter. It's now five defeats in eight. If you look at them in the Premier League under his tenure, it's played 10, won four, drawn three, lost three, scored 12, conceded nine, which is the eighth best in that period in the league. However, if you look at the underlying data, Mark was mentioning how they sort of were, were figuring in terms of uh, the past uh, four, eight, 12 season games. In the actual period under Potter, it's just the 13th best in terms of expected points with a, with a negative expected goal difference. So I do think there are some concerns there. And you look at Man City this season, scored the most goals, third best defence, top for expected points, top for expected goals, top for expected goals again. So if it wasn't for them giving probably Jesus and Zinchenko to Arsenal there's a fair chance to say that City would be top uh, at this moment in time um, and yeah just the overall um, sort of deciding factor that meant, meant that I thought City were the team to get with here was just looking at the impact Rhys James has made on this this Chelsea team both offensively and defensively their win percentage without him this season drops from a huge 64% to just 33%. And as a result of that, their loss percentage increases from 18% to 42%. So a huge player for them going both forward and backwards. Um, and if you want an alternative to siding with City, probably one of the biggest prizes Erling Haaland will be this season to score a goal. He's 8-11. to 11. You probably get a little bit bigger on the exchange. But again, that could be a, a good starter for a bet builder. The dashing doctor of data, Jake Oscar Thorpe from InfoGoal, who you've already heard from once in this show. <laughs> we'll see you now. Uh, Jake, Chelsea, big outsiders here uh, against City. I, I look at, uh, Stinchard just mentioned him there, Reese James in and out of the team, Ben Chilwell in and out of the team because of injuries. And Golo Conte, I keep forgetting, is even there because of his, his injury problems. It's quite hard to get any kind of consistency. I know you're supposed to have a big squad and I know Chelsea have spent a huge amount of money, but when you've got key players missing that many games between them, it's quite hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. And I think, you know, Stinch has touched on Reese James. I think Reese James is probably their best player. Um, and, and you know, he's, he's been missing not only for a portion of this season, but also quite a lot of last season under Tuchel. I mean, you know, people forget that, that Tuchel actually had to deal without James and Chilwell as well. Yeah. Um, so, you and know, wing that, that... backs are so important for the way he exactly, plays as well. Exactly. And, and you know, they, they didn't go and strengthen and improve in, in the summer for Tuchel in that area where you probably could have done with an extra couple of backups as for the Quetta's getting on a little bit, etc. Um, so yeah, there, there's yeah, he's been dealt a little bit of a tough hand, Potter, um, in the sense that we've, we're in a, an extremely you know tight turnaround season where the matches are coming thick and fast because of the mid the, the Winter World Cup, um, and you know it's not going to stop really until uh, until the season's finished. So he's trying to implement his ideas, trying to get it across to the players and get them on board. But half the players are injured, half the players went to the World Cup, and. You know, you're left with the youth team effectively to try and to try and get on get on uh, on the same page. Um, yeah, it, it's it's like Mark. I, I'm a big fan of of Potter, and I'm you know I'm glad that he's been given the chance. But I, I just hope that they don't pull the trigger too early because this is he's a project manager, and uh, and ultimately this is going to be a longer term project than than what many people thought for the reasons Stinch has highlighted as well. The fact that the, the squad is aging, it will need a turnaround, it will need a turnover. Um, so it won't be a case of Potter coming in six months and they've won the title, it's going to be a case of probably a year or two of, of building, similar to what Manchester United are going to have to do at the moment or are, are in the process of doing, similar to what Arsenal did. You know, three years ago, Arteta came in and they were, what, they finished eighth in this first season, missed out on European football altogether. 
look at where they are now from a, a steady period of, of growth and building. Um, yeah, I, I like Stinch's bet. I really do. I think the um, yeah the, the only real play for me is, is going to be City related here. Um, and I'll just you know Stinch touched on it there. The underlying numbers. If you took the the team name Chelsea away from these underlying numbers, you would be expecting Manchester City to be a lot shorter than what they are in the market. So a team that's averaging, this is under Graham Potter, 1.15 expected goals for per game, 1.46 expected goals against per game. So an expected goal difference of minus 0.31 uh, per game. Uh, And as Stinch said, expected points 1.22, which is the 13th worst in the league. If you took the the team name Chelsea away, you 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 would you know you're getting four to one around Chelsea. You're probably looking at five six to one, uh, based on those underlying metrics and based on the supremacy that City have shown. Um, so I'm more than happy to get with him. I know um, Mark's got a few concerns maybe about City. I personally haven't. Um, I think that the, the defense has been apart from that Brentford game where for whatever reason, like whether the players were just so focused on the World Cup and not getting injured or whatever. That was the only game in which they this season they've looked majorly exposed. I mean, 3.3 expected goals against at home. That's a, an absolute one-off. I don't think it's happened for... Um, I, don't think, I don't think any team's ever gone to the Etihad and racked up over three expected goals under Pep Guardiola. So that was that was almost like a flash in the pan kind of really, really weird weird one. And Brentford um, are strange, right? Brentford can do that to you. They're, they're very enterprising. They've got lots of attacking quality. They can do that to you, right? They can. I mean, still, that's a that's a that's a lot for them to yeah, do. Yeah, it shouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they, they are they are a capable capable attacking side. And you know, since we've come back from the break, we've we've seen basically what we would expect to see. I mean, they went to Leeds, racked up over four expected goals. Um, you know, and I think I was listening to the second half commentary, and someone was saying, you know, Leeds they've given a really good account of themselves here. If they keep playing like this, they're going to stay up. No, they won't. You can't concede four expected goals every game and stay up. <laughs> Sorry, lads. Um, but yeah, and then, and then played the, played Everton, and that again, that was just one of those freak results where Everton had two shots in the game, 0.09 expected goals, scored once, and you know only conceded one from 2.3 expected goals. So, what I'm what I'm saying is that City's process is is you know still incredible. It's still at a very high level, and if they if they turn up at Stamford Bridge and and do what they've been doing this season, then they'll have no problems pushing Chelsea aside, none at all, um, just purely because of what we've seen from Chelsea and. You know, I like Mark. I know Mark. Mark's already touched on the Bournemouth game, the fact that everyone was overreacting. But you know, they, they've played Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest straight out of the restart. They've got four points. They generated one point six on one point three expected goals in those two matches against two teams that we all probably expect to be in the bottom four, bottom five. Um, you know, and, and that's just not very good. It's just not good enough for a team at that at, at this level. And, and yeah, that's why I think that they should be a little bit bigger. Um, and yeah, my my bet, and I think. If, if you if you like betting on the one x two, then I would take City just to win the match. I know it's a fairly short price, one point seven two, but I think that's a I think that's a bet. If you want a little bit bigger, throw in under three and a half goals because I think it'll be one of those vintage City controlled victories. Um, and I don't think Chelsea will open up too much and and you know they'll they'll try and keep things tight a little bit. So two point three, I think, on the sports book for City winning under three and a half goals. Uh, but yeah, very pro City. Well, this football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus. See gambleaware.com. 
Org. Spurs losing momentum in the race for the top four. They visit a Crystal Palace team that sparkled at Bournemouth. Stinch, this could be another tough game for Tottenham. Everybody's saying, oh, Daniel Levy's made Antonio Conte unhappy. Antonio Conte's always unhappy. That's just how he works. I feel like bit sceptical. As you say, very tough game for Tottenham. They are 6-5 to five away at Palace. Um, yeah, I feel like maybe there's an element of, of Conte putting in, not himself putting in poor performances, but around the uh, late December, early January in order to get some more muscle to do some um, transfer business, in order to get some more, can I say, leverage from Levy? Um, ah, to- very good. <laughs> to get some more cash to spend I think it's quite sceptical of me but just some of the selections some of the teams he's putting out I don't think are are good enough to get the result in in some of these matches um, obviously he's dealing with a, a little bit of a, an injury issue but I'd say it's m- mainly in the offensive part of the pitch you know no Richarlison no Lucas Moura Benton missing in central midfield um, but you th- when you think of Antonio Conte teams you think of stability in defence in terms of you know restricting goals essentially and yet in the last seven Premier League matches they've conceded at least two goals in all of them which I just think is incredible really um, so I wanted to try and find a, a goals related angle to to get involved in um, and when you consider the fact that Tottenham are the third highest scorers in the league with 33 goals and 17, just thought it was quite uh, straightforward enough to go for over two and a half goals at 20 to 23 when it's when it's chalked up as a 50-50 chance. Uh, we had success back in um, Palace uh, v Fulham over two and a half goals on Boxing Day and that didn't require Palace to contribute. Um, which is the beauty of backing overs and, and not complicating matters if one of the teams um, doesn't fire. Um, obviously, on that occasion, Palace went down to nine men, um, which is not something you'd expect to happen, but it's always obviously uh, possible that the team just doesn't turn up. Um, and given the fact that Palace have only kept one cleat sheet at home this season, just four overall, it's not the sort of Roy Hodgson tight and compact Palace team anymore. It is a bit more expansive, a bit more exciting going forward. And that, that, I think that just means that there is opportunities essentially at both ends of the pitch. Uh, in actual fact, both games last season saw over two and a half goals with, with both teams winning 3-0 in each game. So again, didn't actually require the other team contributing. So I think that's the beauty of, of the bet here. I think it's to oppose the the Spurs defence essentially, but not maybe to be confident enough to be backing Palace themselves. So just taking any um, any sort of um, a hard and fast rule of, of siding with one team and just throwing in, well, hopefully both teams will contribute to the scoreline. I'll take overs rather than unders when it's, when it's set up as 50-50. We have seen an increase in goals this season in the Premier League. Um, so happy to go down the route when it's not the chalked up as favourite. Jake, Tottenham are very confusing to me because, as Stinch says, they've scored lots of goals, but sometimes they look dreadful going forward. They were so plodding against Villa. And we know that Antonio Conte likes these kind of pre-rehearsed, scripted attacking patterns, but when they're not working, it does look dreadful, doesn't it? Looks awful, yeah. Um, it really does. The... I, I guess I know Conte's been in the job a little bit longer than than Potter, but he's having the same kind of issues this season in terms of injuries. 
Um, you talk about those attacking patterns. I mean, one of his best attacking players, Kulosevsky, has been on the sidelines for most of the campaign. Uh, he was missing against Villa. Richarlison as well has been, you know, he's fantastic at the World Cup, but he's been he's been out more than he's been in for Spurs. Um, so yeah, that that's definitely hurt them. The lack of lack of options um, playing with just Kane and Son. It seems to be fairly straightforward for teams to nullify them when they play with just a two rather than a three. Um, especially, you know, depending on the game, he, he sometimes goes for an extra holding midfielder rather than putting an extra forward player on, which I guess doesn't help himself. Um, but yeah, the main concern for me around Spurs is is like what's interesting, the defence. They are all over the place at the back, which is extremely uncharacteristic of a Conte team. Um, yeah, and they've, they've not started uh, or the restart of the Premier League season as well at all. Brentford, Villa, lost the XG battle in both. Um, really struggling to create chances in both. Um, conceded plenty in both. So the, the, the worrying trends, I know they're two decent mid-table teams, but in my book, Crystal Palace are another decent mid-table team, that, uh, especially at Sellers Park, are a team that I would be definitely looking to get on side. But I don't think there's enough juice in the Palace price um, for me to to look at them, like, like Stinch was saying, for me to try and get them on side. I'd want a little bit bigger on the handicap, but I think I found a bet that I do really like the look of, which is Crystal Palace to score the first goal, um, which is at six to five on the sports book. Does that actually landed in seven, all, all of Spurs' last seven matches they've gone behind, um, no matter the opponent, whether it be Bournemouth, whether it be Liverpool, it doesn't matter. They, they seem to be really slow out of the blocks um, and go behind before, well, I guess in some cases, fighting back to get a draw or a win. Um, and it's a bet that's actually landed in 11 of 17 Premier League matches uh, this season for Spurs. So 64% of Tottenham matches, they've conceded the first goal. Um, now, which is, you know, it's not the way to to go around winning football matches or finishing the top four. Generally, you want to get in the ascendancy, especially if you're a Conte team. You want to get get in front first, and then you can almost play that kind of slick counter-attacking football um, after that. So the fact that they're going behind first is a massive, a massive worry. And I think Crystal Palace have got more than enough attacking quality to really cause problems for Tottenham. Um, I do think it's going to be high scoring, like Stinch said. I definitely like the overs. Uh, but I just thought a little bit big of a price, just chancing Crystal Palace to be the, te- the, the team that scores first, given this record that Tottenham have and given seemingly how susceptible they are early on uh, to concede nearly goals. So, yeah, that, that that looks like a standout bet for me. Yeah, that seems like a great price. Uh, finally, uh, regular listeners will know that Mark O'Hare loves a bit of violence. He's put together a fouls-based <laughs> bet for us. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I found the the Premier League coupon quite quite tough this midweek, um, but I know I'm not the only one who who's really enjoyed sort of dabbling in Betfair's newish markets on on the player fouls, uh, kind of an alternative dose of, of violence away from cards. But um, we had some joy playing it in the World Cup, and I've seen quite a lot of popularity of it on social media too. So I've got some, I've got three names really from uh, from Wednesday's matches to chuck into a into a treble, if you like. I'll be backing all of them as singles, but. Um, you could probably get a treble too. The, the issue is, is Casemiro have... one of them. No, he's not actually. No, no. He, he's playing on Tuesday. It's Bournemouth. Isn't oh, it, Tuesday. So. Of course. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's Bournemouth. Ignore so. me. I've ruined it all. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> um, I don't have prices, so it's kind of guesstimating what we've seen so far in previous matches. But I reckon these three players will be anywhere between five to six and possibly seven to four. And and treble treble could be anything up to ten to one if if the traders are feeling generous. Um, I'll start with the big West Midlands derby between Aston Villa. And Wolves, um, normally quite a spicy affair. Both sides 
have got bigger enemies elsewhere, but I think the, the rivalry is, has kind of rubbed off on the players in recent seasons because I've got quite vivid memories of these two kicking off against each other quite often in, uh, recently. So I think it's quite obvious, really, this one. Uh, Diego Costa to commit two or more fouls. Um, <laughs> the negative is he won't play 90 minutes. The positive is it's Diego Costa. It's a derby. Um, just loves the physical elements. He'd probably be up against Tyro Mings here. Committed five fouls uh, against United, two on Boxing Day. He draws loads of fouls himself. So he'll be in amongst it, I'm sure. Uh, guys have talked about Palace and Spurs. Um, I think let's chuck in Jeffrey Schlupp to have two fouls or more. Uh, he made three fouls in both of his appearances since the World Cup, which is obviously great local or recent form. Um, Mitchell is missing, suspended at left back. He has, Schlupp has been playing sort of more in a central midfield role in the midfield three, but he will be asked to cover a lot down that left-hand side as well. Uh, and Matt Darkerty's looks quite uh, quite lively, if you like, for Spurs down the right-hand side. Anyway, Schlupp has made at least two fouls in 11 of 14 starts this season, which is very, very strong. Uh, Joel Ward was playing, I think, left back uh, in the last match for Palace as cover. So he will be looking for Schlupp to help out there. Uh, and then we'll end up with a, a massive match at St. Mary's. Uh, Rock Bottom Saints hosting Forest, who are just two points better off. Collectively, these two teams have won just one game in their respective home and away Premier League games this season. So both should be targeting maximum points. I expect it to be quite tense, quite fiery. And uh, Ryan Yates in the Forest midfield. He is a he's a bitey character. Likes to put his foot in. Uh, likes the physical aspect. He can play a bit too, so I don't want to be too um, harsh on him. But he he enjoys racking up the fouls as well. He's had two or more in both appearances since the World Cup and overall this season. He's hit this line in nine of thirteen starts for Forest as well. So I reckon he can do similar. So basically, a unit on all three in singles and, and about a quarter of a unit uh, on the treble. Uh, something to cheer on for a bit of fun on Wednesday night. And a note there to any aspiring presenters listening, try and remember which set of games you're actually previewing <laughs> in any given show. That's Premier League dealt with. Uh, what about Serie A, though? Loads of games to look forward to on Wednesday as it, it, the Italian top flight returns, including, this is a good one, the leaders Napoli go to Inter, Napoli stinch. The 3.25 outsiders for this one, that doesn't really reflect this season's reality does it i don't think so no it feels like it's just chalked up on past achievements maybe or where the where or the fact that both teams are top four teams so you can just kind of say oh yeah well um it, you give the, the the team with the home advantage you give them the, the home advantage and we'll, we'll price them up at 13 to 10 so basically saying they're equal in ability and i've We've had a lot, a lot, a lot of success this season back in Napoli in various different ways. Um, you know, when they're strong favourites, I think we've been backing them to win and both teams to score or to cover the handicap. And when they've been chalked up as um, fa- uh, sort of outsiders or underdogs, we've had a lot of joy just being really uh, taking them on the handicap and, you know, knowing that we'll get paid out even if it finishes uh, in a draw. And I think a similar method is, is absolutely fine here. Uh, looking at Napoli plus a quarter at 1.91 on the exchange. So if it finishes in a draw, half half your bet will get paid out and the other half will be uh, returned. So the only way your bet will lose is if, if Inter win. And yeah, I'm just happy to keep riding the, the Napoli train. I mean, obviously maybe um, take a little bit uh, of your stake off, given that it's the first game back since the World Cup. So maybe we don't quite know where um, both teams are in terms of fitness-wise. Inter played a lot of friendlies um, since the since the end of the World Cup. 
Um, Napoli only played a couple, but you know I don't want to read too much into into friendly schedules at all. But uh, yeah, maybe just be a little bit careful in terms of players' fitness. Obviously, we, although in saying that, we know that uh, Lukaku' uh, fitness has been a big issue this season, and obviously his World Cup performances were very poor. I don't want to be too harsh, but obviously, you know, he, I think he had four big chances that he missed against Croatia in that final game. Um, I'm sure Jake might be able to tell us if that's happened to anybody else this season. Um, and obviously, Lataro, uh, the other striker, probably been a, a lot of partying in, in Argentina. So I'm not sure whether whether he'll actually make it back for this one as well. Um, but in terms of Napoli, I mean, you know, they've won 18 of 21 matches this season. They lost just once, scored a whopping 57 goals whilst conceding just 18. Into themselves, they've won six of the last seven. But there's a reason they sit fifth and 11 points behind. So again, I think they should be maybe closer to, to six to four. You look at Napoli on the sort of underlying metrics, they're ahead on everything that's key, I think, really. So they average more possession than Inter. So I think they're better at controlling games. They average more shots. They concede fewer shots. They score more goals. They concede fewer goals. And they have a they have a better expected goals difference. So again, I think they should be stronger. Um, I wasn't going to say stronger favourites. They, should they shouldn't be as, as big underdogs as they are, I think. Um, you look at the current odds here um, and it suggests that Inter expected to score 1.58 goals. Napoli expected to score 1.33 I feel if there is, if there should be a gap, if if there even should, even if there if there is should be a gap at all, it should be a lot lot closer. So I think Napoli are the bet and it's sort of the closing factor. If you look at Inter against the decent teams in Syria this season, they lost against Juve, they lost against Roma, they lost against Milan, they lost against Lazio. Whereas Napoli are unbeaten in Syria, so yeah, I think you have to side with Napoli at the prices. After Paris lost, I think Napoli are the last unbeaten team in the top. Five leagues, I think. So uh, they have been going fantastically well. That's uh, all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Loads of other good shows on the Betfair podcast network. NFL Only Better ahead of the upcoming playoffs. We've got Racing Only Better and indeed the Wade In podcast as well. From Mark, from Jake, from Stinch and from me. It's goodbye for now.